I'd like to welcome you to our service. Hope that you had a good afternoon and looking forward to uh, just to spending time in the Word of God, sharing testimonies and uh, singing praise to Him. Let's bow for a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we're so grateful for the Lord's Day and the opportunity to open the Word. And I pray that as we have fellowship together that you would encourage us in the Lord. As we have opportunity to share testimonies, I pray that the things that are shared would be a blessing. And most importantly, we pray that you would be glorified and that your people would be uh, uh, encouraged. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Good evening, Anchor Baptist Church. Good to see you out tonight. Uh, due to the um, business meeting tonight, we're going to sing everything in cut time. So, so anyway, we're going to start off, though, on page... 355. I don't know where I got 455 out of that, but uh, that's where I was going. 355. Please stand with me as we sing Jesus Paid It All. All four verses. Jesus Paid It All. Make a joyful noise. I hear the Savior say, My strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as
read just a couple pages back again. Springs of living water. All three verses.
Let's see, page one in the red book. Page one, I know what that is. Rejoice, the Lord is King. First verse. because the blue book doesn't have that many pages. 451. 451, 451. And let's stand on this Rock of Ages. We haven't sang this in a while. Rock of Ages.
sí. Amen. Sometimes we think that, oh, these are just little kids' songs. They're the reason why they're little kids' songs, because they have such profound, wonderful truths that it's worth investing in the hearts and lives of children, even at a young age. So I know sometimes with teens, we sing songs that will be similar to that or that song, and they're, oh, I'm a big kid now. It's like, yeah, but the truth is still the same. So wonderful truth. Thank you for that, ladies. We're going to continue our study in Ruth chapter 4, concluding our study in Ruth. We've been going through here for the last several weeks, and we'll be concluding it today. So you can open your Bibles and your hearts and minds to Ruth chapter 4, and we're really going to look at how Christ is our Kingsman Redeemer. This is a great chapter to picture that Christ is our Kingsman Redeemer Pick it up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was of our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. 
But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Father, I just ask that you'd be with the hearts and minds of your people this evening. That you can meet the needs, bring the comfort, the conviction that each of them have. Father, we are thankful for this chapter and the great picture it is. And would the Spirit of God use the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people that are here, that may be watching online, and yet others who may not, not even know Christ as their personal Savior. Father, would you meet the needs of your people and those who would like to be one of your children. We thank you and praise you for all this in Christ's name. Amen. So here, we're going to look at the first couple of verses here. We're going to look at this just very briefly as a whole here. We're going to look at a city gate, a neighbor's shoe, and what in the world is that going to have to do with a marriage and being a descendant of a king? Now, if you know and you're familiar with the book of Ruth, you could probably kind of figure it out. But really, when you think about it for a minute, what does a city gate, a neighbor's shoe, and then some guy named Obed that's going to be the father of Jesse and David and... How does this all work together? How do you get this wonderful marriage out of a shoe and a gate? You don't usually think of that when you think of a wedding. You know, you might have a nice, you know, whatever those white things are, I forget. <laughs> but not a gate and a shoe. So we're going to look at this here. We're going to first look at the city gate. The city gate in verses 1 through 6. I read the first four. And we're just going to pick through here. I'm not going to look at all of those individually again due to time. Uh, they planned the short guy to preach on the business meeting. Hopefully that he preaches short. Well, I am good at being short, and I have the least amount of hair. But when it comes to preaching, sometimes I just got to make do with what I got. <laughs> so we're going to do our best here to get a whole chapter in here and not get tomatoes on me. But first, we're going to look at the meeting place here. A city gate was a meeting place of city business. This is where they would handle things. So you would think of an office, you know, here, or, you know, the deacons and things. We have a meeting room in there. But it's a meeting place. In Genesis 19.1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. So here you have Lot in Sodom. So it's not like Sodom was just kind of, you know, on the edge. He had moved into town. Because he's sitting in the gate here, he was like a decision maker. You know, we would consider him like a mayor of something. Maybe he was, you know, a local representative. But there he is at the gate. So we see it's a meeting place where decisions were made. So when you see Boaz going up to the gate and he's sitting down there, Boaz probably had some kind of authority. There's obviously about some business transaction of some kind in the city that's going to take place. Something is big. This is not just one guy shaking hands with another guy, you know, on the side to buy a little field. Okay, this is something more than that. We do the same thing in Genesis 23.10. There's many examples. I just picked a couple that are early on. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heath. And Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heath, even all that went in at the gate for his city. And he goes on to say some things there at the gate. So there's things that are taking place. This was a meeting place, official business of the city. Something decently big is about to take place here. So it's not like he's just meeting at the gate to talk to his neighbor in the backyard. Okay, well, I've got to meet at the gate. Okay, that, that's not what's taking place here. So Boaz went to the gate, and he sits him down. 
And look at this. I love how this happens here. He says, he sat him down at the gate. And behold, the kinsman of Bo, uh, whom Boaz spake. So earlier in the book, he's talking about, oh, there's a near kinsman to me. I'm not the next of kin, but there's one that's closer. So he goes to the gate. And here says, behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. And he says, oh, such a one. I'm reminded of this passage right here. When he says, when he talks about, oh, such a one, and he's talking about this kingsman. Ooh, I got to back up. I almost got ahead of myself, going too fast. What is the kingsman? I don't want to overlook this too quickly. He said, there's a near kingsman of Boaz that came by. This same word of kingsman, it's one of close family relation. And many times, in fact, most of the time, this root word is translated redeemer. About 70 some times this word is translated redeemer. About 13 times as a kingsman. It's the same word to show that uh, just a couple of verses in Exodus 6, 6. It says, wherefore, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt and I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. What is he talking about there in Exodus 6? God is talking to the children of Israel. He's going to bring them back. He's going to free them from slavery there in Egypt. He's going to pull them out and bring them back to redeem, to ransom, to purchase, or to get back. We see another example of this redeem in Leviticus 25, 25. It says, if thy brother be waxen poor, and this is going to come into effect later. This is great background where we see not only this word, but some background to this text of why are they meeting this city? What's going on with Boaz having to go to the gate? And what is this kingsman? And why is there a near one? That, so this, this verse will help us with that. It says, thy brother, which be waxen poor, in Leviticus 25, 25, hath sold away some of his possession. And if any of his kin, close in family relation, come redeem it. And he shall redeem that which his brother sold. It has the opportunity for someone of close to buy for the land for his brother. Another place where we see this, jumping to a New Testament example, and this is where we start pointing a little bit to Christ. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing and the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. This is talking about Christ redeeming us to purify himself of peculiar people and zealous of good works. This is Christ redeeming back. When you look at the bigger picture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you look at what has taken place from the fall of man and sin coming into the world, God knew from the beginning that sin was going to enter in, and man would have a price to pay that he could not pay on his own. Christ would have to come to redeem us, to buy us back, shed his blood on our behalf so that we could get back into the presence of God where we started it back in Genesis in the first two chapters. So here it talks about God gave of himself, Jesus Christ, who gave of himself for us that we might redeem us from all our iniquity. So bring us back to this, behold, a kingsman. This is one that's no, close a family relation. He has the opportunity to buy back something that was lost in, that was close to his family. 
So that's what he's doing. So you go back to verse one, and it says, behold, the kingsman, a close relation, that has the opportunity to ransom, to purchase back what was lost. It says, whom Boaz spake earlier to Ruth, unto whom he said, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now this is where I was starting to get ahead of myself. What is happening here I think is so cool. He is going to the gate to do what God is requiring in his law. He's just trying to obey God like he's been doing before in the chapters previous. He's at the gate and all of a sudden it just happens to be that this kingsman comes by. Did he do that all the time? I don't know. Was there a pretty good chance? Did Boaz know it was going to take place? Possibly. I'm not sure. But here he's walking by and you get the idea that as this guy's walking by, it's like, oh, hey, hey, while you're walking by, come here, come here. I've got a deal for you. Hell, such a one, as you're going by, come here. There's something that you might be able to purchase. So Boaz, he is literally just trying to obey the law of God as the kingsman. And even in this, he knows Ruth. It's a younger lady. She works hard. This other guy has no clue who she is. But he is still giving the right or obeying the Lord. There's someone closer. Even if Boaz is like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't mind marrying Ruth. I think it'd be a good thing, but I'm not going to try and cheat. I'm not going to try and sneak around the will of God. I'm going to do what I know to do that's right. Sometimes we try and take shortcuts. Sometimes it feels as if I do it God's way, I might not get what I want. Boaz here is continuing to do the right thing in the right way, in the biblical way. He is following the law of God. Though he could have been tempted, man, I can get a lot of land and I might be able to get a great wife out of the deal. Doesn't sound too bad, but still he obeyed and did that was right. And sure enough, he goes to the gate, he sees in there and he's going to give him the opportunity to do what he is supposed to do. And another thing I like about this, as he just happens to walk by in a coincidence, it reminds me of Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. In Ruth 2, 3, it says, And she went and came and gleaned the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light up the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Amalek. She was just going out to create some food for the day, not create it, to, to earn food for the day for herself and her mother-in-law. And she just happens by coincidence to land in Boaz's field? No way. She's just trying to do what is right. Boaz here in chapter 4 now is just trying to do what's right. And what is God doing? He's going to bring their paths together. You have two servants of God trying to obey the law of God. And you know what happens? As you obey God and as you're both trying to seek God, it brings you closer one to another. That is a great picture of marriage. And sad to say, talking to teens and other people today... They try and think marriage is how can you please me? And if you got two people trying to please self, because of our signature, we're going to draw away from each other. But if you're trying to please the Lord and do what's right before him, like a Ruth and a Boaz, and you're trying to serve God and do it according to his word, you know what happens? Because God is the focus and his law and his word is the authority and you want to please God, it brings you together. That's what's taking place here. And God it just happens to, she just happens to get onto his field. And then he's at the gate and the guy just happens to walk by. You don't think God is behind the scenes working this to his servants that are trying to do right? I mean, I don't know all the circumstances, but it just seems like there's no way this is all just an accident. How much did Boaz know? I'm not sure. 
But I do know that being obedient to God and his word can bring blessing and challenges, and sometimes you bring, it brings two paths together because you're both trying to accomplish the same goal, to be obedient to God. So let's see what this Kingsman says. Let's look at this here. So he presents it to him, and he says, I want to advertise it unto thee in verse 4. And you look at the end of verse 4, and he said, this guy says, and I will redeem it. All right, I get to buy more property. This guy is thinking, yes, okay, uh, I'll be willing to pay the price to get more field. I mean, man, a field is value. I mean, a field and, and property, there's value in that. The price always goes up. <laughs> See, we learn even in real estate, when you own property, the value almost always goes up. That, he knows the same thing all the way back here. He's like, oh, yes, sure, that'll be great. I'll add that to my estate, and I'll get my guys on that right away. He's all for buying more property. What guy wouldn't? You know, if you have the opportunity and the privilege, and hey, this is your opportunity, will you take it? I will. Not that there was necessarily a hook in the worm here, but Boaz is going to present, if you want to say the whole truth, however you want to look at it, he thought that this guy might like to buy the field. So obviously this kinsman, who had the first right to purchase this land, did not know or was not aware that there was a Ruth attached to this. He was unaware. So let's look at this. Let's see what happens. Verse 5. What was Boaz's intention? I don't know. Looking through this, I think he had good intentions through this whole time. But let's look at it. Then said Boaz, after the guy agreed, I'm going to buy this land before all these elders, before here at the town gate, make an official business, I'll do it. And then he says in verse 5, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. Wow, he's packing a punch right here in these phrases. To raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. What is all that? We'll get to that. Let's look at verse six. He wants to buy it at the end of verse four. Boaz tells him, okay, there's a woman involved and there's a wife of the, you know, the raise up the dead. And this guy is thinking this and his smile like turns upside down. His dreaming of those moments of great success and owning more land and more money and more possession is now getting flipped upside down with, the, with verse 5. So look what he says in verse 6. And the kingsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem it thou thy right to thyself. I cannot redeem it. What just happened? The guy wants the land. He wants to redeem it. Boaz says, but there's a woman involved, the wife of the dead. I don't want it. No, no deal. I'm not going to redeem that to myself and bring what is going on here. Well, a couple quick things we can look at here. We brought up Leviticus 25, 25 already where, you know, you could purchase the land of a brother here. But what does he mean to mar his own inheritance? What, what is going on? There's a couple things that could be, and I'm just going to throw in a couple quick things of suggestions I'm honestly, personally, not exactly sure why or what exactly he was thinking. It's possible this near kingsman, maybe he was already married. Maybe he thought one wife, one wife was enough. But in those days, if you had money and you can afford wives, why not? Okay, maybe he didn't want to get married. Maybe he didn't want another wife. Maybe it's because Ruth happened to be of Moab. She was a Moabitess. Mm. Are you telling me that I have to marry a non-Israel woman? 
I will have no part of that, heathen. She can have no part. I don't, I don't want her baggage to come upon my family name. I am not having it. That Moabite woman, who knows what she believes? Who knows what kind of person that is? Maybe that's what he's thinking. I don't want to marry a Moabite woman. I'm not having that. He didn't want to maybe hurt his own reputation. I am a man of wealth. I'm a man of authority. I am a great Israelite. I don't need some woman coming into my life, some young whippersnapper coming in and telling me, you know, and bringing whatever he was thinking. I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, when he thought he had to marry Ruth, and I'll also add to this, which we'll look at later, when he marries her, this is in Deuteronomy 25, which we will get to later, but I'm just going to insert very quickly here. When he purchased the land and the part of raising the child for the dead, he would raise that child, but he wouldn't necessarily get that land. It would be in place of the dead husband. So he's spending money to possibly mar his own name, in a sense, with marrying a Moabite, and then doesn't really end up getting the land necessarily himself because it goes to his brother. So he's raising of his own seed, something that he's not really going to get. He's like, I don't know if I want to do that either. That could be tied in there possibly too. But regardless, what I am thankful for here in this verse as we look at it, he says, I cannot redeem it unless I mar my own inheritance. I am thankful that Christ was willing to become a man, to limit himself, to put on flesh, to dwell among men, to be limited to a physical body. That Christ came willing to be spit upon, lied about, lied to, mocked, accused by his own creation because he was willing to buy back what was lost for us. Christ left the glories of heaven to come down here to endure everything that he did and really for almost 30 years living a normal life, working beside his father, as a carpenter, sweating in the sun, the heat of the day. Christ did all that for us. Jesus Christ had to become a man in part, as you think about this, so he could be akin to us. One thing that people will say and argue is, well, well, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. I mean, he's God. I mean, if he's God and he can't sin and he never sinned, he can't understand what I'm going through. In part, the reason why Christ became a man, other than things that he had to die and all those things to shed his blood, in part, it's because he can relate and we could think about, you know what? He hungered like I did. He thirsted like I did. He had friends betray him. He had a mother that he loved and cared for. He was the next kid. He put on, God put on flesh as the second Adam for us, for me. He said, like a next akin. And sure, if we could be born of God and we could be born of God's family and the bigger picture, how do you look at all this? Christ was willing, if you will, to mar his own body. In Philippians 2, I love this passage. 
In Philippians 2, 3, 8, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. What was Christ thinking? All that he gave up and all that he sacrificed. What are we thinking? Well, we get a snapshot of that here in Philippians 2. He says, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, this is going through his mind, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why is it not robbery for him to be equal with God? You can't rob something that's already yours. You can't steal from yourself and call it robbery. It's not robbery for him to be God. He is God. He's not taking anything from God if he is God. So we'll continue. Just a little thought there. So who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He was willing to come to earth to limit himself, to deal with us, to show us who he is through his love, his kindness. He didn't come here. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to try and build of himself a giant kingdom, an earthly kingdom. He didn't have to come and build a project. He already had. He already is God. He didn't need. But he thought it not robbery equal with God, made himself of no reputation, and took upon the him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Like a near kin. He was a man like you and I. Oh yes, surely he had no sin. Because he's also God. But like this kingsman here, he was willing to be a king to know what we can go through. And yet, with that same thought, we truly don't understand what Christ went through. It is truly impossible, really, for us to understand the temptation that Christ would endure and yet not sin. Because you know what happens when sinners get pushed to the limits? When we get pushed to that, we just, get, we just sin. We just let the thought manifest itself. We just let the word fly out of our mouth. We just tell them what they really should hear because I, someone needs to tell them and I'm going to be the one to tell them. We just let things go. We look at things and say things and do things that we ought not. We don't take the full brunt of sin and the temptation. The temptation for that we just give in. We're sinners and we sin. But imagine getting right to the edge of being able to sin or not able to sin. We can't, we can't hardly fathom what it's like to take the full brunt of the temptation we don't understand what Christ went through. But many times in our understanding, it's like, well, we, how can God truly understand what I'm going through? And it's really the reverse. We don't really understand what Christ went through when you really think it down and you break it down and meditate on it. So being found in fashion as a man, finishing this passage in Philippians 2, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, what's that got to do with here in Ruth? This near of kin, for whatever reason, he, didn't, he wanted to keep his reputation. He didn't want to marry a Moabite. He didn't want to, whatever it was, he did not want to do it. I'm thankful that Christ, as our Redeemer, the next of kin, the only one that could save us from our sin, did what he was supposed to do, and it is done. Praise the Lord for that. So let's continue on here. We've looked at the city gate. We need to quickly look at the neighbor's shoe. 
the neighbor's shoe. What in the world is this? Let's look at it. In verse 7. Now this was the manner, the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for the... Uh, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore, the kingsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Now I want to look at the, the background to this just briefly. I told you we'd go back to Deuteronomy 25, and here we are. If you turn to Deuteronomy 25, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not, but Deuteronomy 25, it says, starting with verse 5, it says, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take to him to wife, to perform the duty of the husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which beareth all succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, and in his name be not put out of Israel." And if a man like not to his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up unto the gate unto the elders and say, so that's where the gate is, and here's where the shoe is going to come in. My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother in the name of Israel. He will not perform the duty of the husband's brother, of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife Come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot, and spit in his face. That's horrible. And she'll answer and say, so shall be done to the man that will not build up his brother's house. So if I can try and summarize this a little bit, the, the, the wife that who has the, is now widowed, she goes to the gate. She's looking to the brother to marry to provide seed. So she's looking to the brother. So I have, I have three. I've got two younger, I'm one of three. I've got two younger brothers. So if I were to die, my younger brother Jeff would be presented the opportunity to marry Becky, to raise up a son if we didn't have any children, which doesn't work in this case because I have four of them right there. But just imagine with me for a second for illustration. So my younger brother Jeff would have to marry Becky to raise up a son. His first son would basically be raised in my name to take the house that we just got. What? He would marry my wife to the rapist of son and pay for it, but then the, his son is raised up in my name and he gets it all. My son, that's his, that's raised in my name. What in the world? Some guys are like, I don't, I, I, but this was, this was how it would work there. It was to preserve his name in Israel. It was to keep his name alive so no one would go extinct, uh, in a sense, of a family line. <laughs> But here, so the wife was supposed to go, and then if it was refused, she would spit in his face, and he would take off a shoe, and there would be an exchanging of that. So that's where the shoe comes in. Well, here, for some reason, maybe Boaz didn't want to bring her in and drag her into this. I'm not sure it's kind of left out of the text, but she wasn't there. So he's lucky he didn't have to get spit in the face. <laughs> I don't like getting spit in the face. It's not good. But the point is he did take off his shoe and he said, I don't want any part of this. Okay, so that's some of the background in Deuteronomy 25 leading to the situation at the gate and where the shoe comes in. It's a transferring of basically a title deed in a sense of in so many words. So he's hanging this over. Now, why would Boaz be willing to take something that the near of kin would not? This is just an interesting thought. Why would Boaz... Yeah, okay, he liked the field, so did the other guy. 
But what was it with Ruth? The Moabitess. And then having to give that possession unto your son that is being raised in your brother's name. Here's what's interesting. In Matthew 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 1 verse 5. This is some brief background on Boaz that will lead us to Rahab. I think this is a great little nugget here. It says, So Solomon begat Boaz of Rachel, and Boaz begat Obad of Ruth, and Obad begat Jesse, and we know Jesse begat David. Boaz, according to Matthew 1.5, is the son of Rahab. Rahab? Are you talking about the one at Jericho? The one that protected the spies? She's a non-Israelite, that one? Yes. And listen to this. In Hebrews 11.31, it says, By faith, the harlot Rahab, how would you like your name to be attached to a harlot for an inspired word of God for all eternity as a harlot? Rahab the harlot. In Hebrews 11.31, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. She believed these spies were sent from God. She didn't do everything right, but she was believing in the God of Israel that would deliver Jericho, and she believed in that. Well, eventually, she, apparently she got married, and she had a son. And in her line is Boaz. Boaz came from the line of a harlot, a non-Israel. Because of his past history and because of his family tree, if you will, I think he was a little bit more sensitive to understand, do you know what? Belief and faith in God goes farther than just being born of the right way. Being in the, born a child of God as far as in Israel is concerned. It is faith and belief. The advantage that Boaz had with Ruth is he had witnessed this lady. She would work all day in the field to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. He saw her reputation. He saw what kind of lady she was. And getting down to these next verses, if you look at verse 9, we see Boaz buys big. Okay, he gets all the land. And why does he buy big? Well, he's blessed, but he gets land? He gets a virtuous woman, and many witnesses around them are just showering praise upon them. But I just want to hit some highlights here. It says, he gets the, the land. Look at verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and all that was Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of this place ye are the witnesses this day. He knew he's going to be marrying Ruth, and he was willing to do it. He didn't care that she was not from Israel. But the important part is she was a virtuous woman who believed in the God of Israel. That spoke more to Boaz that it was worth the purchase of the field to give it away to his son that would be raised up in the name of his brother. That meant more to him than any other thing. And that leads me to this passage that I thought of 
in Proverbs 31. The whole chapter is really good regarding ladies from about chapter, uh, verse 10 or 11 and on. But in verse 29 through the end, it says, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excel them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Man looks at outward beauty. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. God doesn't measure beauty and wealth the same way we do. The same measure as man does. But going back to verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And I love verse 31. It goes so well with this. It's amazing. When you just start reading God's word and you put all these pieces together, it's just incredible how it works. It's just amazing. Verse 31 of Proverbs 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in where? The gates. The gates. What is Boaz essentially doing to this young woman who's working virtuously with her hands? He's basically praising her and says, I think this lady is worth buying. The other king's been, no way, mar my inheritance, you can have it. Boaz, I will do it. Some things are worth more than just money. I don't think this was some crazy romance. I think this was two people trying to live for God, gleaning in a field, just trying to be the king's ear, offered to the next and nearest kin. He denies it. You know what? I, I'm not so concerned about her family line. Look at my family line. But she believes in the God of Israel. And what a great picture we have of this, of Christ, and what he did for us and our sin. He doesn't care about your family history. He knows your family history since Adam. He knows we're but dust. He knows that we're sinners by birth and by choice. Yet he longs and desires to redeem us. He used it, he used his own blood on the cross to purchase us so we can go before a heavenly father. What a great picture. And then this, with this, we see very quickly at the end how this marriage leads to the Messiah. Through, through this line, they have a son, Obed. So Naomi starts taking care of Obed as her own son. So everything that was Elimelech's is now Obed's, even though it was Ruth and uh, Boaz's son. And Obed, Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. And we all know that David was a man after God's own heart, who was the great king of Israel. And he was the man after God's own heart. His family line was not so clean. And this is a great picture here of Boaz and Ruth willing to purchase and be a great picture of what Christ has done for us. And you can fall through. It's got the genealogy on here. And you could look through it and read it. And the blessing that they received. And what's neat is, it, they're, they're, I don't know if it was just a family line, or like that, but their blessings that people give to them are like, would she be faithful and blessed and fruitful? And it's like, wow, there's something going on here. They see something special about this. If nothing else, they at least understood they're both trying to follow the law of God. How can God not bless when two people who have had, well, one more struggles and the other one's just being as faithful? And keep in mind, he was probably old enough to be her father, keep in mind. Okay, she was probably mid-low 20s-ish, I'm not sure. 
But he even refers to her, if you read through this, as my daughter. This is not some crazy romance of two, you know, high teen, young 20, nothings, running off into the sunset on a white horse. (laughs) That ends up with happening, but that's not what it is. They're just trying to obey God. And God uses this wonderful story in Ruth. Keep in mind, this is during the time of the judges. When every mandate was right in his own eyes. Well, what did Boaz think was right? What did Ruth think was right? To obey the law of God. And what did God do? God rewarded them to be the grandparents of King David, whom was promised to have a king born under him. What an incredible picture. What an amazing passage of scripture. And all this taking place when every man was right in his own eyes. You know, that's another thing that we can think about as we conclude here. In this country and in this world, when it seems like everyone is doing wicked and living according to their own way and their own laws, guess what? You and I can make a decision. I want to obey the law of God. I can do right. Me and my family can do right in the sight of God. And it's possible in a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And all this to picture that Christ is our, your and my kingsman redeemer to save us from our own sin. Father, I thank you and praise you for Ruth, for this amazing book. And we look at the timeline of when it was inserted in history. We look at two individuals and just get to zoom in on their life and to see your blessing to their obedience, to their faith in you and your obedience to your laws. God, would you help us to follow this example to see Christ as the one who has redeemed us, as Boaz is pictured here, redeeming Ruth for the seed of Naomi. Father, we thank you so much for this great picture. Would you continue to work in our hearts and lives in the days to come as we continue to ponder your word and walk with you each and every day. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor. Lord is able to do in people's lives. It's a great story. Not just a story, it's true. It really happened. And it is a part of the story of redemption. And we have a Savior uh, because God worked through the lives of these people. He brought the Savior into the world through those very unique circumstances. And it's an encouragement to us that um, when we look at our lives and we see messes, and we all have some, We can thank God for his grace and how he works in our lives and he works through our lives. And that's what he did here. So a lot of sweet blessings. Please let's turn in our hymn books to hymn 400 uh, for our closing and then we'll take a little break um, before we uh, reassemble for our meeting. 400, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Please let's stand together and let's sing each of these verses.
uh, let's bow together for a word of prayer. We'll take about a 10, 15 minute break and then we will uh, reassemble for our meeting. If you do not have uh, the financials and you need those for the meeting, uh, they are at the desk in the narthex. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. What a beautiful book. And I thank you for how you worked in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and how in your grace you worked in this very difficult circumstance. A lot of pain, a lot of heartache, a lot of challenges that these individuals faced. Yet in your kindness, you brought together this man and this woman. You put in their heart a desire to do what is right and honor you. And they gave of themselves and ultimately enjoyed the blessings of being a part of your story of redemption. Bring the Savior into the world. Help us to learn from their lives. Help us to be faithful men and women as we uh, live in this dark world. Help us to be strong and courageous. Help us to raise our families well. Help us to live godly lives. And we ask for your blessing on the meeting we'll have in a little bit. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.